Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. And for the reading of the word, we're in Psalm 42 and 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth, and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're we're so thankful to open your word as your family, as your people, and um, Lord, we're so thankful for the Psalms and just the great blessing this book has been to us over the last couple months. And um, Lord, we're just a very privileged people that we have your very words, that we can hold your very words, that we can read your very words, that we can discuss them and pray them. We're just so thankful for that great gift. So Lord, as we open it, Lord, we do need a, a change of heart. We need not just better habits, but we need better hearts. We don't just need better duties, we need better desires. We don't just need better actions, we need better appetites. We desperately need, Lord, for you to change our hearts, that we would find our joy in you. Not in our circumstances, not in our own good works, not in how we feel about ourselves, but in you. Lord, you are our exceeding joy, and we pray that you would show forth your Son to be that glorious one, that all-satisfying one, and that our hearts would respond and cling to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Gabe uh, gave an excellent sermon on Psalm 103. So that was a psalm of praise. This week, we're in a psalm of lament. This is a sad song. This is a a song of despondency, of melancholy, 
what we would call today depression. And as you could tell when David was reading the, uh, Psalm 42 and 43, they're actually one poem, and you can see the structure. They fit right together. We have no idea how they got separated, but they're actually one poem. And what you have, I have a slide about it just to show you, but you have three laments, and in between you have three calls of hope. So you have lament, that's verses uh, 1 through 4, and then you have a call of hope, and then you have another lament, 5 through 10, and then another call of hope, and then you have in 43, 1 through 4, and that's another call of hope. So you have lament, call of hope, lament, call of hope, lament, call of hope. And you see all these call of hope, they're all the same. So you can see it really does go together. It's strange that it ever got separated. But what we have here is a, a song that is, I mean, it's just a beautifully sad song, right? It's one of the most beautiful, sad songs there is. And you might ask, you know, why should we spend a Sunday in a sad song? And I thought church was, you know, I've had a rough week. I need a happy message. You know, why are we going to spend some time, you know, talking about a sad song? Why, why do you do this? You know, I know how you are. You like these kind of things, but we don't want to hear it. You know, and you might ask why. Well, the reason is, is that depression has been the common experience of God's people Throughout the Old Testament, you can think of Elijah. Throughout the New Testament, you can think of times in Paul's life. All the way through church history, we can think about people like Calvin and Luther and Spurgeon and lots of our people all the way down to today have dealt with the experience of depression. Some of you right now are living this psalm. Some of you are in this place. And we're going to join you there today. That's why we're doing it. Remember what I said about the psalms? I said that it's like, it's like 150 on-ramps to get to prayer and worship. The psalms are prayers. The psalms are also songs, worship songs. And what the psalms are for is they're like on-ramps to get you from wherever you're at to a place of prayer and worship. There's happy ones. You know, if you're in a good mood, there's ones that are happy. There's thankful psalms that you go from thankfulness to prayer, praise and worship and, and prayer. Um, there's ones that are angry. So it's kind of like our literal on-ramps. You know, there's angry on-ramps where you're in a place of anger and it, it can take you to a place of, of prayer and worship. And there's also, guys, sad ones. And this is one of them. This is a, a one to bring you from a place of depression to prayer and worship. So you might ask, well, what caused the psalmist's um, depression? You know, what was the cause of his depression? Part of it was circumstances. We can see that he was cut off from public worship. Take a look at verse 3. It says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. We know from the very top of the psalm that this was written by one of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were priests that were worship leaders. They were song leaders in the temple. And what we can gain from verse 4 is that he has probably a temple singer that's been kind of exiled away from Jerusalem. He's away from the people of God. He's not able to worship with them. If you look at verse 6, you can see where he's at, and it's a long ways away from Jerusalem. And he loved to gather, and you can tell from verse 4, he loved to gather and celebrate God's goodness with God's people. And his sadness here is being compounded by the fact that he has been cut off from it. And that makes sense, guys. I mean, that might seem strange to you guys, but it actually makes a lot of sense because God is present with us in a special way when we gather for worship. When God's people gather for worship, God is present in a very special way. We don't have, in the, in the New Covenant times, we don't have a temple like they did in the Old Covenant. 
What it says in the New Testament is that we are the temple of God, that our bodies are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and we are the temple of God. But it also says that all of us together, when we come together, when we assemble, we're like living stones assembling God's temple. So God is present in a special way when God's people assemble together. This gathering of God's people is the new covenant temple. This is the new covenant temple when we get together. God is here with us in a unique way. I mean, people pass from death to life in this gathering. Christians are made strong in this gathering. There are effects of this gathering when we worship together. There are effects of this gathering that will last for decades and will reverberate in eternity. You guys believe that? There's been decades, unfortunately, in the American church of really downplaying the gathering together of believers. But I I think you guys can, can feel, and you guys probably knew, the psalmist's sadness about being cut off from the gathering of God's people when we, when we dealt with that through the pandemic. You know, you felt it. You felt the sadness he displays here. I, th- I would hope and I think that we will never take that for granted again, you know? And so that's what, one of the reasons he's sad. The other reason he's sad is that he's under attack from an enemy. If you look at 43.1, he says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. So he's dealing with some sort of persecution as well. Because this particular writer has been really open about his faith, he's opened himself also to ridicule from his enemies. They say in 42.10, he says, My adversaries taunt me. They say to me all day long, where is your God? You know? They're like, look at your life. Satan does that to us, doesn't he? Doesn't he taunt us sometimes? Doesn't he say, like, look at your life. A lot of good God's doing you now. You ever hear him say that? You know, it's one of the lies he'll say is, like, a lot of good God does you, you know, the state you're in, the emotional state you're in, the place that you're in. And so he's got these dark circumstances, and dark circumstances can kind of tip us into a place of depression, whether that's chronic pain or, you know, some sort of career disappointment, some sort of financial problems, cold marriages, Wayward kids, loneliness, past suffering, you know, health problems, all kinds of fears. They can kind of tip us into a place of darkness. But some of us guys, and some of you guys are probably like this, some of us have a tendency to slip into a place of dark depression even when things are relatively okay. And are you that way? I, I'm that way. You know, you can slip into a place of depression when things are basically fine. I mean, it's all the same burdens you had yesterday. You know, and you were able to kind of bear them, but all of a sudden you can't bear them anymore. So all the same things that you were like, yeah, you've got problems, everybody's got problems, but you were juggling them fine, and then all of a sudden you can't juggle anymore. You can't do it anymore. And then God seems suddenly distant. He seems more like an idea than a close friend, you know, and everything feels hopeless. It's not that my circumstances have changed so much, but my perception of my circumstances have changed. The well-known preacher uh, from the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, dealt with severe depression. And there's this great little book called Spurgeon's Sorrows. And it's a, it's a book where Zach Eswine basically compiled when Spurgeon would talk openly about his depression, which, like, wasn't normal in Victorian England. You know, to be like, hey, guys, let me tell you about my depression. Like, that wasn't a thing. But in it, there's all these great quotes and stuff and, and some real helps. We have five of these free copies. And we'd love, if you will read this, if you're like in a place you're going to read it, not decorate yourself with it, okay? But that you would actually read it in the next week or two. I'm going to leave them right here. And we would love for you to guys just take them. They're free. Um, love that book. But listen to what Spurgeon said about his depression. 
and how it would just come on him mysteriously. He said this, My spirits were sunk so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. You guys ever been there? <laughs> and it's like, I don't know why I'm like this. I've dealt with that kind of depression off and on for over a decade. But for the last few years, I haven't had it. Somebody in our church had actually prayed for me, and it was strange because it, it lifted right while I was praying, and it hadn't come back in years, which is really wild. And I, I hesitate a little bit in sharing that story just because I had had people pray for me a lot before, and it went on year after year after year, but it's certainly something we want to pray for you for. But I know what it's like to battle this beast, like year in and year out, and to you know, feel pretty good and wonder when it's coming back, you know? And uh, depression, guys, is a very strange and powerful creature. You know, without any kind of cause, my hope would suddenly just evaporate. It'd be gone for days, and then would come back for no good reason. You know? Like, why am I better now? I have no idea. You know? And I would look for things like, you know, maybe there was unconfessed sin, and there wasn't, you know? And then I would look for, like, well, maybe I'm not, you know, in the Word enough. It's like, well, I'm sermon prepping every week. I'm, I'm in the Word, you know? Like, this is part of the deal. You know, or, you know, maybe I'm just not like, guarding my heart and things like that. It wasn't any of those things. It was like a beast just kind of just jump on me for no reason, it seemed. And uh, circumstances could set it off, but it would take on a life of its own. And, and when that dark cloud would, like, come over my mind, like, nothing seemed worth doing. It's like you lose all motivation. Um, what does depression feel like? Well, depression is hard to describe to those who have never had it. Some of you guys, I'll talk about this, and you'll be like, that's weird, never felt like that. And I would just say, praise God, bless your neighbor. You know, like, praise God if you've never dealt with that. But it's, it's hard to describe. Uh, psychologist Andrew Solomon said this, since depression is a condition that is almost unimaginable to anyone who has not known it, its diagnosis depends on metaphors. And what's really cool about the Psalms is the Psalms have the best metaphors for what it feels like to be trapped in depression. For those of you who don't suffer for depression, the Psalms actually offer you a way to kind of, to help you understand it. It gives words for it. It can help you to, in some ways, taste and know the pain of a person you love. One author said that the, the Psalms provide a poetry of sorrow and a dictionary of sadness. The Psalms provide us a way to communicate between the divide, between somebody who's in depression, who feels isolated, and the person who loves them. And you can read the Psalms, and you can, like, communicate. You know, this is what it's like. So what does depression feel like? The psalmist says this, depression feels like thirst. Take a look at verse 1. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Okay, this is a verse that a lot of us have, have used, and there's been beautiful pictures with it and stuff like that, of just like a nice quiet time. This is like a person, though, that is not feeling God's presence such that it feels like he's dying of thirst, okay? It's not as happy of a verse as it sounds like. You're like, oh, a deer in a stream. Yeah, with dehydration, okay? <laughs> okay, depression feels like thirst. You know, there's something truly desperate about thirst. Like, hunger you can handle, but thirst is deadly. It's desperate. And that's how the psalmist feels at being deprived from the felt presence of God. Let me explain that a little bit. So God's present everywhere. He's omnipresent. But he is present to be felt only sometimes. You guys have felt that. The felt presence of God when you like feel his presence and you know his love and you can tell he's near. That's a feeling. That's a felt presence of God. God hasn't gone anywhere, but he is being felt. Well, what happens in depression is it hides God's felt presence from our souls. It feels like he's far away. 
The imagery here is of a deer in the midst of drought, hunted and fainting from thirst, making that risky trip down to the water hole, which is where the predators are, to try to get a drink of water. And he doesn't find it. He only finds tears. Depression also robs us of earthly comforts. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. You know, depression causes a loss of appetite, not just for food, but it, it, it decreases our enjoyment of food and family and friends and like all the things we took joy in before, all of a sudden it's just gone, you know. For me, one of the real devastating things, it takes away my desire to read, you know, which is one of the main ways I eat <laughs> is to read. And I can tell my depression is, is lifting because I start reading again. I'm like, oh, it must be getting better. It's extremely hard to read. That's why these books are short, by the way. You don't want to give somebody with depression a really long book, okay? <laughs> give them a really short book, okay? And it's best to read it when you're not there. But depression takes away our taste for food and family and friends and other earthly comforts. Nothing tastes. Depression feels like falling. This is so good. Verse 5, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Depression feels like being cast down. It feels like falling. It feels like sinking out of control. It feels like slipping off some, you know, slimy rock into the water. It feels like you're falling, like you're being sucked into an abyss or a black hole. You know, I remember when it first started, I, it, you actually have this feeling that you're spinning into like a black hole, like something's sucking you in. And you wonder, is there a bottom to this thing? Will I ever find my way out of it? Am I going to be in here forever? Depression is filled with fears and doubts. Look at verse 5 again. He says, Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Depression comes with a storm of fears and doubts. Uh, novelist William Styron wrote this really beautiful book about that length. It's just a description of his depression. Not a believer, as far as I know. It's a description of depression that is so accurate, so beautiful. I mean, if you if you're, uh, have a family member that deals with depression, really recommend you read William Styron's book, v Darkness Visible, just as a description it actually turned into a Mumford & Sons song, which is weird. But Styron says that depression is too wimpy a word for what it really feels like. Doesn't depression feel like a wimpy word? You know, depression's like there was a drop in air pressure. Or depression's like you're driving along and there was a dip in the road. Like, that's not what depression feels like. He says depression feels more like a howling tempest in your brain, a hurricane in your mind. Verse 5 says it uses the word turmoil. It's a soul in turmoil. And you can see the turmoil in all the questions he asks God. In verse 2, he says, when? In verse 3, he says, where? In verse 9, he says, why? There's a storm of fears and doubts. Depression's like traversing a howling desert or enduring a long winter storm. Depression feels like drowning. Look at verse 7. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Depression feels like drowning or suffocating. That verse actually is what Jonah quoted when he wrote later about how he was drowning in the sea. You know, he quoted this verse. The feeling of drowning or suffocating is one of the most common metaphors that sufferers depression use. And, and drowning in waves is like a, a, such a great metaphor because waves are relentless. They don't stop coming, you know. You can battle them all day long and they just keep coming and that's what it feels like. It, it feels like, you know, this thing that I'm dealing with, that I'm wrestling is relentless, you know, no matter what I do. You know, how can I fight something that never stops? It seems like it's hopeless, like the waves will eventually take me under. Um, depression feels isolating. He, he feels forgotten and forsaken. Look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Or in 43.2, he says, 
for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? You just can't feel that kind of felt presence of God. So you're like, Lord, have you forgotten me? Have you rejected me? Have you like finally gotten really tired of me and just moved on? You, you know, you blocked my calls, you changed your number. Like, where are you? Especially when it goes on for a long time. Depression feels like a painful wound. Take a look at verse 10. He says, as with a deadly wound in my bones. Depression feels like a deadly wound, except it's in your soul instead of your body. Which is worse? You know, it's way worse to have a wound in your soul. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A man, spirit, can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? You know? Spurgeon said this as a depression sufferer. He said, The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can only bear a certain number of wounds and then no more, because you die. But the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again every hour. Depression feels, it's like a pain that, it almost feels like physical pain. It's not physical pain, but it is painful. And uh, it's the pain of a festering wound in your mind, of a crushing injury in your spirit, of a battered heart. And of course, depression feels like darkness. Like that's a really common metaphor for depression. If you look at 43.3, he says to God, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Depression feels like darkness. You know, it's like a poisonous fog has rolled in over you. It's like you're going through the valley of shadow of death. You know, it's a darkness that's like too dark to see through and it clings to you and it weighs you down and won't let you go. And so for those of you who have dealt with depression, I just ask you, isn't it so liberating and encouraging to hear it accurately described? That's what the Psalms do. It's so beautiful, isn't it? That they would describe that pain so beautifully. I mean, I read the Psalms, and, and when I was in the depths of things, I'd read the Psalms, and I'd be like, you understand me. You get me, you know? You're here for me. You see me. It's a beautiful thing that the Psalms do for us. And a couple things to realize about this psalm. Number one, it was a song, okay? Realize that this was meant to be sung when God's people would gather publicly for worship. If you look at uh, the top of 42, it says, to the choir master, okay? So all God's people get together, and they all sing like a super depressing song. And there's other super depressing songs. There's Psalm 88, which ends with, darkness is my only friend, and it ends that way, okay? There's Psalm 69. There's lots of these, right? And I just want you to think about that for a second. The fact that God would inspire songs like this for his people to sing, what effect would that have on God's people to get together and do that? Think of the kind of community it creates when you can speak so frankly and so openly about this kind of thing, right? Certainly removes the stigma, doesn't it? You know, in America, there's a stigma to depression, and it's because we're a certain kind of people. We're a super positive, can-do kind of people. Like, you don't realize it, but we are. Like, we are so annoying to other cultures that are like, have realized you can't have everything and you can't fix everything. We're like, no, we got this. You know, we're Bob the Builder. Like, we can fix this. This is fine. You know, right? You know, we don't embrace limitations. Americans are a believe in yourself and you can do it. Name it and claim it. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of culture, right? And depressed people don't fit that narrative, Right? In our culture, depression looks, it looks weak. It looks lazy. It looks wimpy. 
It looks like not trying hard enough, right? Dr. Martin Luther King said this, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself up by his own bootstraps. Amen? I love how God destigmatizes depression here by inspiring a bunch of depressed songs. You guys realize half the psalms are laments? Half of them have at least some portion of lament in them. Half his songs. It's amazing. It was a way for God's people to say, as they would sing these songs, I see you, depressed brother. I see you, downcast sister. Like, we're in this together, and we're going to sing your song today. Like, I don't feel depressed, but I'm going to sing the song with you because we're together. It's a, it's a way of God saying to you this morning, when you read this psalm, I see you. I'm with you. I wrote half my songs for you. Isn't that amazing? That's so good. Think of the way that sets us up, guys, to, to talk about struggles of the soul, to talk about, you know, you know, mental health issues, struggles of the soul. I mean, whether it's depression or anxiety or, you know, bipolar disorder or cutting or same-sex attraction or addiction or whatever it is. We got a lot going on in the church, right? We got a lot of this stuff going on in the church. And the awesome thing, though, guys, is that our God is bigger and stronger than any struggles we face in this room. He is. He is bigger and stronger than any struggles we face in this room. So I would just say, and I think the psalmist would say, let's talk. <laughs> you know, Let's talk about what you're going through. Let's pray about it. Let's get help. Let's be there for each other. Amen? So it's a song. song to be sung together as God's people. And it's also a teaching. If you look at the top of uh, 42, it says it's a maskil. That word maskil is a, it's a Hebrew word. It comes from the verb to instruct. And so this psalm is actually meant as instructions too. So it describes the depression really well. It kind of unites the community around those who are suffering. And then it, and it teaches. It says, okay, so you're having all these emotions. Here's what you do with them. That's what he's doing. He's going to give instruction. And uh, so what I want to do in this portion is just let's look at what these instructions are. Now, there are situations where people's depression has a medical component and would benefit from medication. I'm not that kind of doctor, okay? I'm a horse doctor, okay? So and we can't tell on them. But even when that's the case, guys, no matter what is the cause of your depression, you're going to need to know what to do when you're in the darkness because there's no magic pill. There's nothing that just kind of evaporates this. You take a pill and it just goes away. You're going to have to learn how to endure it, and we're going to have to learn how to be even fruitful in it. And I believe we can be. I believe we can both endure it and be fruitful through it. So these are directions in darkness, okay? These psalms are directions in darkness. They're, they're for when you can't see clearly, when your perception's off. What do you do? You know, you're, when you're in depression, you're like a pilot, and you're flying, and you're flying, you know, through a storm at night, and your instruments go out. And you're not able to, like, pilot yourself correctly. You don't know what's going on. You can't trust your perceptions. You can't see clearly. And so these are directions in darkness. The psalmist is giving us directions so that we can pilot our own souls even when we don't see correctly or until the sun comes up or the navigation instruments come back online or the storm clears. So what do we do when we're in darkness? First thing we do when we're in darkness is we pour out our soul to the Lord. Look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. That's such a beautiful description of prayer, isn't it? That it's pouring out your soul. You know, it's unpacking your soul. And that's what he does in all three of the laments. The laments aren't just complaints. He's actually pouring out his soul to the Lord. And sometimes he overstates it a bit, his problems. 
You know, the Lord hasn't really forsaken him. You know, he's overstating it. You say, well, why does he overstate it? He overstates it because it's how he actually feels. When you pour out your soul, you need to state how you actually feel, not how you think you should feel, right? Sometimes we come away from prayer and we're still burdened because we didn't really pour out our souls. We didn't really, like, empty our hearts of everything. You know, we left a few doubts and confusions and angers in our pockets of our soul. Like, we need to take it all out, set it all out, put it all out before the Lord. You know, every pocket of your heart, every troubling thought. Tim Keller said this, every single emotion you have should be processed through prayer. Wouldn't that be healthy? Pour out your soul to the Lord. You say, well, you know, I have this thing I'm thinking, but, you know, maybe it sounds dumb. It does. You say, oh, well, you know, maybe this thing that I want to pray, it's not true. Probably isn't. You say, well, you know, I pray this, but it sounds whiny. Probably is. Like, let's pour out our souls to the Lord. It's always so funny when you're praying and you have this thought of like, oh, should I confess this or should I, should I say this? And you're like, no, not now. And the Lord's like, I'm hearing all this. You might as well pour that out, right? Pour it out and have the Lord sort it out. You know, you can put all the garbage out and he'll be like, yeah, that's not true. And, you know, let's move that around and let's think differently about this. But you got to pour it out. Second thing he does, so he pours out his soul to the Lord. He also preaches to his own soul. This is really fun. The psalmist preaches to his own soul. You can see that in the three calls of hope. So there's three calls of hope, and they're, they're identical. There's one in verse 5, one in verse 11, and then 43.5. And this is what they sound like. He says, Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his own soul. Isn't that interesting? Do you talk to your own soul? Do you? Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his book, Spiritual Depression, which we have at the library, by the way. He said this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they're talking to you. They're bringing up the problems of yesterday. Someone's talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he started talking to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul, he asked. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. And so he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment and I will speak to you. Isn't that great? You've got to learn to preach to yourself. Stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. One reason why it's so important to fill our hearts with Scripture is you'll have something to preach to yourself, right? You need something to preach to yourself when you're in darkness, and, and it gives you that. So what does the psalmist preach to himself? You can see it in each of those three calls of hope. First thing he preaches to himself is question your own perceptions. Look at verse 5. You look at 5, 11, or 43, 5, they're all the same. But in verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? What's he doing there? He's actually calling himself to question his own perceptions. You got to learn to, if you're in depression, you got to learn to question your perceptions. This was super important to me. Um, the Lord kind of taught me this through this passage, that the reasons my depression gives me for why I'm depressed are not the real reasons. One of the ways to know that is they were the same problems yesterday, and I wouldn't feel like this. And when it passes, they'll be there, and I won't be burdened like this. So the depression, it's like it lies to you. It tells you that all these things are the problem. They're not the problem. 
And my wife would often ask me when I was in depression, she would be like, you know, what's wrong? And I realized after a while, like, I could come up with a list of problems. Like, I could easily come up with a list. But they're not the real reason. The depression was there, and it was, it was basically uh, taking all of my problems and magnifying them, making them look worse. You know, none of these things crushed me yesterday, and none of them are going to crush me when the depression lifts. Depression, guys, is a perception problem. It's like a pilot with broken instruments, you know, that I was talking about, flying through a storm in the dark. We have to learn to question our perceptions. That's what he's doing when he says, why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? This whole perception thing that we need to question our perceptions, one of the things this, this shows us is why it's so important to be a part of a church family. Like, you guys are here to tell me the truth when I can't see it clearly. I don't know if you guys know that, but that's your job. And for each other, too, not just me. This isn't all about me. But you're here to tell me the truth when I can't see correctly. You're here to give me accurate perspective. When I join this church community, I've outsourced my sanity to you. Okay? It's safer that way. Okay? I'm in charge of my sanity, but so are you. Okay? And so when there's times when I can't trust my own perceptions, you're, you're the air traffic controller, right? I've got no instruments, dark, it's a storm, you know where my plane is. You speak truth to me, you give me reality, you give me perspective, you guide me in for a landing. That's why we need each other. Can't do this alone. If you wrestle with depression, it'd be very dangerous for you to be by yourself, right? What else does he preach to his soul? Hope in God. Look at verse 5. He says, hope in God. What's he doing here? He's charging himself to wait for the Lord. He's charging himself to refocus his hope for improvement on the returned felt presence of God. Instead of thinking about all of his problems getting solved or even his mind clearing, he's focusing himself on the returned felt presence of God. He, he doesn't just want you know, clear, a clear mind in happy circumstances. He wants to feel God's presence again. And you see that in verse 1. He says, my soul pants for you, O God. In verse 2, he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I mean, when you're thirsty, all you want is water. And he's, he's focusing his soul and saying, okay, like, I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I'm in a terrible state. What do I really need? I need the return of the felt presence of God. That's what I need most. I don't need everything to get better. I need that. God is the only one who can truly satisfy the depressed. Look at Psalm 43, 4. He calls God there. This is really interesting. Take a look at it. Psalm 43, 4. He says, he calls God, God, my exceeding joy. And the Hebrew is super awkward, and that's why your Bible doesn't say it this way. But the Hebrew goes like this. The God of the gladness of my rejoicing. Isn't that cool? It's like redundant, right? The God of the gladness of my rejoicing. He's saying to himself, hope in God. He is your healing, and that healing will come. Because the third thing that he preaches to himself, so he preaches two things, question your perception, hope in God, and then the third one is, this will not last. Take a look at verse 5 again. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love this. He's telling his soul, this won't last. You will again praise him. And this is one of the lies of depression is that it's going to last. Remember I talked about the black hole and that you're going to be in this thing forever, and it's going to take you under, and you're never going to be able to get out. And what he's preaching to himself is that this darkness will lift. And guys, this is one of the most helpful things. I think it saved my life. This is one of the most helpful things I've ever read in Scripture. I can't tell you how many times that this, these words brought me back from the brink. I shall again praise him. Isn't that awesome? I shall again praise him. 
And so if you're in depression, when you deal with depression, remember, you will again praise him. Don't make any big decisions in that state of mind. There's a real temptation to do that. Don't make any long-term decisions on short-term emotions. Right? And that goes for big decisions like, like suicide. And depression kills people, right? Like, don't make a big decision like that. Your perceptions are off, right? Hope in God. You will again praise him. And it goes for smaller decisions like telling people off, right? Quitting your obligations, right? I'm going to send that email. I'm going to send that text. I'm going to tell them you know, how I really feel about them. This is not how you really feel about them, right? This is not how you really feel about them. You're not well. <laughs> Put the phone down, right? Wait, you will again praise him. Verse 5, he says, Hope in God, for I will again praise him, my God and my salvation. Your light will return. In the meantime, I want to point you to this fact, is that your God has also endured darkness. It's one of the really beautiful things about the gospel, is that your God has also endured darkness. The God that you meet in the midst of depression in your darkness is a God who has also entered the darkness. Isaiah says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And talk about a friend who knows what you're going through. You don't know what he went through, okay? But he knows what you're going through, right? He's been there. Your darkness, your depression, it's not permanent, but there is a place of permanent darkness. And I think that people who struggle with depression sometimes get a small brief taste of the place where darkness never ends. Jesus spoke of that place. He said it's outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And guys, that's the future that all of us have chosen for ourselves by all of our decisions to walk away from our creator. God is the only person who can give us joy that lasts forever, right? But Jesus came to rescue us from that place of darkness. He volunteered himself to enter it. On the cross, Jesus Christ took our place for our sin, endured our darkness, Endured the darkness this psalm only points to. On the cross, Jesus endured the thirst, right? He endured the thirst. He said, I thirst. He was thirsting for the presence of God. On the cross, he lost all comforts. On the cross, he was in hopeless despair. On the cross, he experienced drowning, right? Crucifixion was really a way of suffocating people, right? On the cross, Jesus dealt with the deadly wound, the fears and doubts, the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The darkness. And then what's awesome, guys, is that three days later he rises from the dead. And he shows us how he's ultimately going to heal us. How he's going to make all things new. How we're going to, again, praise him. He's, he's going to make the world new. He's going to give us new bodies. Do you guys realize that one day, if you're a believer, one day you're going to have a brain with perfect brain chemistry? Would you like perfect brain chemistry? Would you? Would you like a brain that really worked for you? Right? One that wasn't susceptible to temptation and doubt and discouragement and all these things, right? A brain that's totally alive and free to enjoy the presence of God. And God's presence not just being felt but seen, being in the very physical presence of God. Guys, this darkness won't last. You will again praise him. This psalm does not end like, and say, and he lived happily ever after. Do you see that? Look at the end of 43. It's the same refrain again, right? He's still in the battle. He's got lament, and then he's got a calling himself to hope. Then he laments, and he calls himself to hope. It's so realistic. He's still in the battle. But he's come to a place where he can hope in God, even though his circumstances and his mind 
are still in darkness. And, and I really think if you read through the whole thing, the third call for hope, the one that's in 43.5, it sounds different. They're the same words. But if you read all the way through, the, the last one sounds more defiant. You know, In the beginning, he's counseling himself. In the end, it sounds defiant. He says this, Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's waiting for the Lord, right? And he's not trusting his own emotions. And he's not trusting his perceptions. And he knows that this darkness will not last. He knows he'll praise him again. He's become unstoppable in the darkness. Some of you there right now. You know, some of you in this room have the most valiant faith, and you don't even realize it because your depression feels so weak and hurts so much. But to those of us who are not where you're at, we are amazed by your faith, right? You're fighting in hope. You have the ultimate kind of faith, right? It's a faith without sight. Why are you cast down, dear soul? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. You will again praise him, your salvation and your God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for coming and bearing the dark punishment for our sins so that we can enjoy the light of your presence. We thank you, Jesus, that you took our thirst to give us living water. You took our suffering to give us comfort. You took our despair to give us hope. You took our drowning to give us life. You took our isolation to give us love. You took our wounds to give us healing. You took our doubts to give us assurance. You took our darkness to give us light. I pray, Lord, that you would give all of these, your people, living water and comfort and hope and life and love and healing and assurance and light. Even now, Lord, that you would, in this moment, in this time of prayer, in this service, that if there's anyone here that's dealing with severe darkness, I pray, Lord, that you would just lift it. Give them a break. Give them rest. Lead them in green pastures beside still waters. Give them comfort. Lord, we thank you for the faith that you've given to your people that even when we can't see you or feel you, we don't even feel the truths of your word, Lord, that you persevere your people. We thank you, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love. Not our minds, not our thoughts not our depression, not our darkness. We're no farther from you than we were when we were in the light. You have us. You love us. You lead us. We thank you, Lord, for the hope of the resurrection, and we pray, Lord, that those who are here that deal with these things, Lord, we pray that you would give them a taste of that joy and comfort now as you heal your people. Strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.